0: Today's show is sponsored by Anchor Podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And do you know why? The first reason is it's free. And number two, they have different tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you don't have to create a profile on Spotify, Apple. All you need to do is record your program on your computer or your phone and Anchor will do the rest. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum audience. Try Anchor today. It's free and It's everything you need to start creating your podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 45 of the Winners Ways podcast. We have a guest on the show today. I'm excited and grateful to have this guest join me today. I've gained a lot of insight from my conversation with her. I'm sure you will learn from this episode as well. I'm thrilled to welcome Lauren Williams on Winners Ways podcast. In case you don't know her, Lauren is an American sprinter and a bobsledder, a four-time Olympian. She's a dynamic speaker and a presenter who is passionate about motivating others. She's a financial coach, a CPA. She is someone that wants people to have success managing and organizing their personal finances. And that's why we are having her on the show today, to listen and learn from her so that we can all win with our money. So episode 45 of the Winners Waste podcast is about winning with your money. Without keeping you waiting for that, I present my guest, Lauren William, to you.
1: Would you like to win and achieve success in what you do? Welcome to the Winner's Ways podcast, where we create winners every day. And now your host, the author of Winner's Ways book and life coach, Bola Alabi. Yes. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So I am a certified financial planner. That means that I have gone through an exam experience. Um, I've signed a code of ethics and also um, I have done there's four E's of the financial planning. Well, I can't remember the fourth at the moment. But neither here nor there, I am dedicating my life to helping people organize their finances. And it's been really, really important to me because I started my career as a track and field athlete, went on to become a bobsledder. I made a good living at a very early age, much more than anybody in my family could see or know what to do with. And I didn't have the resources around me to get the help that I needed. So I went out and I wanted to hire someone. Well, I didn't know at the time that there were different kinds of people to hire. And when I found that out later on, I realized that I didn't hire the right person. So I was brave and enlisted to help with someone else because I knew I didn't know what I was doing and that the, the help of an expert would be good. But I didn't know what kind of expert and I hired the wrong kind. And I didn't do that, not once, but I did it twice. Um, And so I think so often people are trying to get the help that they need. But there's so much information out there, especially with the Internet. Now, there's so many conflicting things that are happening. um, And it's like, where do I go for the right information? So after much research on my own, looking for a financial planner to be able to help me. Um, I learned about the certified financial planning and I felt like that was the right thing to do. It was the most, um, the the part of the financial industry that had the most integrity. And I immediately started working with a certified financial planner for myself. Loved that kind of work uh, that they were doing for me and how different it was from the previous advisor and decided I also wanted to be a certified financial planner.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you very much for that intro. You know what? Just recently, about two weeks ago, I made a podcast episode about how to hire a financial advisor or a financial planner because a friend of mine uh, came to me and he was asking me whether or not he needs a financial advisor. So I wasn't sure. At that time, I don't have any, uh, so I wasn't sure of what to tell him. So I did my research and part of what you uh, you just spoke about was what I came by because it's true there are different kinds of financial advisors out there and you need to know who to pick. So thank you very much for that uh, intro. So I'm just curious why you started your career as a track and field uh, person. uh, You did boat sledding. Why did you change to become a financial planner?
1: Yeah, it was a really big pain point for me for the way that, like I said, my finances were handled. Um, I was a finance major in college, so there was sort of a background already there. Uh, And I also, while I was getting my While I was competing as a professional athlete, I also decided to do a master's degree in business. So I've always always been kind of financially minded uh, or inclined and didn't know exactly what I was going to do after college or, you know, once running became kind of a a detour route, I didn't know what I was going to do after that. But I had always been very interested in finance. And like I said, for me, it was very much um, not having... Had bump, not having had the right kind of financial advisor or gotten the right kind of advice that kept me kind of seeking, um, and what I was really looking for, you know, just to be clear, is like I was looking for a plan. Um, yeah. I think so often we think of a financial advisor and we think of someone that invests money only, and you're like, well, I don't have money to invest, so I don't need to hire, uh, hire anybody to do to do that, um, or you think that. Like, okay, I'm ready to invest, so let me go find someone specifically to help me invest. A, a real financial planner should be able to help you with all aspects of your finances. And your finances are really so much about creating a strong foundation and really planning around your goals and your values um, that that's where everything should start. It shouldn't just start with, oh, you have money, let me invest it for you to make sure it grows. Like. That's not what financial planning is. Planning is really about making a plan. And I felt very just lost during my whole career. I was saving, I was investing, but I was not, I never had a plan. And that was the part that was missing from the kind of advisors that I was working with. So the reason I got into it is because I felt something was missing. And once I found the certified financial planner, I realized that there is like a multifaceted approach to people's finances and that that's what I had been looking for. I I didn't know how to articulate that because I had no idea what it was. So um, that's how I decided to become a financial planner.
0: Oh, wow. So good. So financial planning is about setting goals. It's about values. It's about making sure that we have strong financial foundation. And that's very important. It's not just about uh, investing because, I'm also, uh, in that group. If you ask me, if somebody asks me, Hey, what does a financial advisor? What do they do? I may probably tell you that, Hey, they help you to invest your money. Of course, that was, uh, two, three weeks ago before I started my own research. So thank you very much for that, uh, explanation. Um, uh, I have followed uh, your podcast, I've uh, listened to your shows. I know you talked a lot about money stories. You you encourage people to come on your show to tell uh, audience and to share their experience about their money stories. Why do you think it's important to talk about money stories?
1: Yeah. So the podcast is a really big passion project of mine because I believe that one of the biggest things that's missing in helping the world create wealth, um, helping people that are um, of a, a lower income background right now feel comfortable is that they've been raised in a household where money is something that's not talked about. Um, Creating wealth is not something that's talked about. You know, it's a very private thing. You work, you get paid, you pay your bills, and you don't talk about money. Don't ask me how much I have. Don't, you know, don't get all in my business. And that's very much the the culture of money um, across the United States. It's a very taboo topic to talk about. And I think that's what's really holding a lot of people back not having the courage to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I don't understand what a 401k does. You know, why should I be putting, you know, you, you hear a little bit here. Someone says, oh, do the employer match. And so you put a little one or 2% there to do the employer match um, because you hadn't uh, heard it in the streets. But you never asked anybody, well, well, why do I do the employer match? What else can I do besides the employer match? And that's all based in in money conversations, um, student loans is another one. Like I, I bring people on the show to talk about like said, any aspect of their money. Just tell me your money story, because I think a lot of people also think that they're alone, um, that they're the only one struggling with this issue or the only one struggling with that. Um, when if you just had a conversation and you opened up about it, you'd realize there's lots of people that are suffering from, you know, things that they don't know. And I and I do I say the word suffering because I think you really do suffer when you when you don't know something and you want to know it but you don't know where to ask and you just kind of keep going status quo. You wake up, like I said, go to work, pay the bills, and so on and so forth. But you never get around to asking the question. And time is a really really key aspect to organizing your finances. The earlier the start, earlier you start, the better off you are. Um, now of course it's never too late to turn things around, never too late to um, fix things up, but the sooner you know the, the more you can make an impact in your own life um, with the information you know and of course I'm a big proponent of hiring a financial planner um, but the reason the podcast exists because if you simply have a conversation with your friend your, your parent um, your children those conversations can avo- help somebody avoid making a mistake and so the first Thing that people need to do is start talking and once they start talking they'll start getting more educated and they'll feel more comfortable and they'll know where to find the information but you can't know simply by yourself um, unless you've gone out to try to get in All this financial expertise. And everybody doesn't have time to become a certified financial planner just to handle their own finances. So um, it's really, really important that people have these discussions, these conversations, and um, cover all the topics. Uh, One one topic that's really a big deal right now um, for the people uh, that are usually listening to my podcast and a lot of the clients that I'm serving is student loans. Um, Student loans are affecting hundreds of thousands of people nationwide. We have trillions of dollars of student loan debt. Um, And a lot of people are just sitting, you know, like they're very embarrassed. I have six figure debt. Um, I'm now How did I how was I so stupid to get this debt? I'm never going to be able to get out of it. No one's going to want to marry me. You know, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about with clients and um, they have to get over that in order to even pick up the phone and tell me how much debt they have. There are so many strategies to handle student loan debt. You can save and invest and have student loan debt. You can buy a house and have student loan debt. Um, There are so many things that you can do despite having student loan debt, but people can't see past that debt and they can't see past the shame of that debt. And they're just sitting there letting their finances become more and more broken every day because they won't have the discussion. So that's the premise of the podcast. Let's have some discussions. Let's find out what people's pain points are. And people can point other people in the right direction.
0: Oh, wow. So good. So I totally agree. And what you just said uh, resonate very well with me because I think it was about uh, seven, eight years ago, I found myself in depth in debt to the tune of over six digits. And you know how I felt that time? I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh, what did I do wrong? How did I get myself into this mess? So I quite understand that to some people, it may be like a shame to talk about their debt, And I like the fact that you are encouraging people to come out and talk. Because like you said, student loan, debt in this country is an epidemic. There are many, many millennials that have this student loan burden. And if they don't do anything about it, it's going to stay with them for years to come. And that's going to set them back in the race of life, maybe when you think about financial freedom. So the question now is, how how can we engage more people? How can we encourage people that, hey, you are not alone. It's okay. Your past shouldn't matter. But what you do from this time moving forward, what steps you need to take so that you can get out of that depth. that talking about money is, shouldn't be a shame, but something that all of us can learn from so that we can help more people. So how can we engage more people to talk about their money stories?
1: I think engaging people starts with Deciding to break up And, and, and engage somebody That's exactly it uh, Whoever is listening out there today uh, There's a conversation That you want to have Or there's a question that you have about money And you, you've not asked anyone um, And you know I challenge you and I ask you why Why haven't you asked anyone um, And I'm encouraging you to go ahead and ask someone But on the flip side of that There are plenty of people out there that want to have a conversation that are feeling the exact same thing that you are, and they're just waiting for someone to ask them a question. So I'm encouraging you to start a conversation with someone in your circle, someone that you like, someone that you feel like you can trust, um, to ask some sort of question, you know, and it could be a simple, simple question of, you know, how are you approaching saving? Because I think one of the things that holds us back a lot of times is people think that, oh, but when we, when we decide to talk about money, we're always going to be talking about numbers. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you is, Bola, how much money do you make? And people are going to be like, whoa, hold on, wait, wait, you know, like, and now <laughs> they're going to want to shut the conversation down. You're going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Or I'm going to say, how much money do you have in your bank account? And that's also one of those things that's like something that's going to cause pause. Whether you got a lot of money or a little money, nobody wants to tell that those numbers
0: Right, right. That's that's. It's
1: not about the number. Having strategies has nothing to do with the numbers. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna say nothing, but it has so very little. And there's so many conversations you can have and never mention a number. Like I just said. So, what is the approach to your saving? How are you? How are you figuring out saving every month? That's a broad question to ask someone. And then they can respond to you and say, well, I put my money automatically from my paycheck into my savings account. I never see it. And you're like, oh, my goodness, why didn't I think of that? You know, I've been trying to get the money in my bank account, say, you know, pay the bills every month and then save what's left over. um, And that's not been working for me. Well, what the person just described to you is is what, what I call paying yourself first. But by simply just talking to someone and asking a question, how are you approaching saving? You now have started a conversation. They've given you a strategy and it could change your life. They don't have to be a certified financial planner to to be doing something right in their finances. Um, So get those conversations going. That's what I'm encouraging people to do.
0: Wow. Thank you very much for that. So you talked about savings. You talked about investing. I'd like to know your view. Uh, How do you think people can get into that reading? of saving money regularly so that they can, of course, invest with those money that they saved?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And and it goes back kind of, you know, it was a good segue because that's that's pretty much what I believe, what I was just describing as a a example of how to talk to someone. It is to automate your savings. Um, So, so frequently, exactly what I just told you, my clients come to me and they said like, you know, I'd really like to be able to save more. I'd love to be able to save for a house. Like I'm so tired of living paycheck to paycheck, Um, but they can't figure out how to get themselves out of living paycheck to paycheck. And so one of the things I always tell people is like, how many times in your life, you know, in your paycheck to paycheck kind of living, have you figured out how to make a way? Um, There's a lot of people who are doing it. You know, they're using every dollar that they have, but they're not using any credit card debt. Um, And they're figuring out how to make a way. So if I gave you $5 less, would you still figure out how to make it? For most people, the answer is yes. If I gave you $10 less, like, would you automatically need to go to your credit card and get $10? The answer is no. You look at your bank account and you stop when it gets to zero. So why not, as a step one to savings, automatically move that money straight on over to your savings account? So it's not even, don't even consider it as part of your paycheck. Don't even consider it as part of the money. Um, And so often we give so much power to the people that we owe. So whether it's your rent, your lights, your cell phone bill, et cetera, it's like these bills, I got to pay these bills. And when the money comes, the bills got to get paid. And um, all these people are standing in a line waiting for their money. Put yourself at the front of the line because guess what? The line is not going anywhere anyway. So why do, why do you tell yourself that you're the least important of all the people that this paycheck is supposed to support? Put yourself at the front of that line, you know, hand the money out to yourself into that savings account and then let everybody else who is lined up asking to, to get the money to go ahead because always there's going to be somebody at the end of the line. And usually who's at the end of the line might be the thing that you need to cut that could be your netflix that could be your you know whatever those different things are that like those are the things that you pay last because they're the least important you know you want to get your rent because you probably want to keep a roof over your head so you're going to pay that first and then you know what else the kids got daycare i got to get that in there so you have a set of priorities put yourself though at the front of that that line No, no matter who all those other people are like I deserve to save for myself, I deserve to have a future for myself. And it's it's really about telling yourself really positive messages, and that I can save and create a life for myself uh, in the future and now.
0: Wow, Lauren, you know what, I like the way you put it. People give powers to others by putting them uh, first on the line. And I know you were explaining the concept of Pay yourself first. So if we view it as giving power to to others, then we will understand that the concept of pay yourself first means you put yourself first. Put those things that are more important to you as priority. Then you go down the list. So I like the way you put it. So I noticed that uh, you have a book, The Oval Office. And it's about helping professional athletes uh, to get their finances organized. Can you please tell us a little bit more about your book, The Oval Office?
1: Yeah. So I wrote The Oval Office. You know, a lot of people are confused if you're not a track and field fan. um, They're like, oh, this is about the president or something like that. And it's no, the track is is shaped like an oval. Uh And these are professional athletes. So every day they're showing up at that oval and that is their office. Um so that's how we refer to uh professional track and field or that's where we show up every day is at our oval office. Oh wow. Um <laughs> and for me it was really important to write something to give back to the sport that gave so much to me. And during my time like I said I, I talked a little bit earlier about not having a financial um person in my life that was the the correct kind of person, but there were so many things other than my finances that I wish I would have known about the sport that would have helped me overall financially. Um, So um, how to hire an agent, what questions to ask, how to negotiate that contract, because the agent always comes and they tell you, oh, my minimum is 15 or 20 percent. But you don't even realize that, you know, you're coming out of college mostly when, when you become a professional track and field athlete or professional football player for, or any professional sport at that point. Um, and you're really not sure from a business standpoint because you've been kind of, you know, living under the... You're new to being a, a, a adult and new to being a professional. So you don't know all the rules of engagement and how to negotiate and, and all these different things. So I talk about... It said, knowing that these people work for you, that they're a part of your team, that they're there for your support, but they should not be enabling you. Um, So often I hear people say, you don't worry about anything. You just go run. Um, And it it causes the athlete to be ignorant. And at the time that, you know, things are not going right, they have no control over their finances. They don't understand how they work because somebody has been handling everything for them. Uh, where I, my thing is like education is way more important than enabling somebody. Um, it's really important that you know and you understand. It's okay to delegate some things to people, that's why you have a team, but you need to have an idea of what's going on. And so I really, really stress that in the book. We also talk about branding, you know, what it's like to travel abroad, uh, hiring a coach, having your training group. All sorts of different things are covered in the book, you know, mental um, you know, training, what, what to think about for life after sport, which is a really hard thing to do when you're just entering a sport, but it's very, very, very important to consider, you know, what kind of life am I trying to create and, you know, what am I going to do with the time that I'm here to, one, make an impact on not just myself and my, my pocketbook, but also on others, and then what kind of life am I trying to create for myself in the future with the earnings that I'm getting right now. So um, I cover all those things in the book, and like I said, it's very, very important to me because I didn't have that guide. I didn't have that resource available to me, and I think that it's something that can really help people do better and be better.
0: Thank you. I think that book, The Oval Office, is a great way of giving back uh, to your uh, colleagues or to to your career uh, field. Because I've read too many stories about young athletes that maybe in their 20s, they found themselves in so much money. But maybe in their 30s, they went broke because they were unable to manage their money. So I think this is going to impact so many people. And hey, thank you very much for writing that book. And I think it's beyond just athletes. Anyone that want to learn about branding... Anyone that wants to learn about how to manage success in life should definitely get that book, The Oval Office. I saw it. It's available on Amazon. So please go to Amazon, The Oval Office by Lauren Williams, uh, so that you can learn how to manage and get your financial life organized. So, uh, Lauren, can you please talk about your best money lesson?
1: My best money lesson, I think we've talked about my best money lesson, Um, it's saving. And I'll I'll say it a little differently. Like you said, the the principle I believe on how to save is what I've discussed already. But I think so often uh, people who have not had very much interaction with financial professionals or um, don't have a clear plan for themselves um, try to skip over. When they decide to get things together, they try to skip over um, the, the saving part of it and go straight to the investing part they try to find five or ten dollars and just you know I gotta buy a stock and I don't know which stock to buy but I heard on the news Apple's doing really good and, and you just go jump right in and you're trying to get one stock at a time or something like that um, whereas I think the thing that's really really important is that saving and investing are kind of one and the same so the, the thing though you need to be focused on more than the investing is the saving. So first step is get some money in the bank. If you don't have money um, in case of emergency, then you don't have enough to be investing outside or, you know, doing other things. You should only be doing your trying to get your emergency savings correct. And then if your employer, like you said, if you have a retirement plan at your employer, you can do whatever the employer matches because you never want to leave free money on the table. So if it's 2 or 3%, put that into your 401k or 403b or whatever is available to you, get your match. Um, but other than that, you need to be working on your emergency fund. So that's step one for your savings. Once you have your emergency fund, which I believe should be three to six months of income, mm-hmm. quite different than what you would hear on the, the internet. They say three to six months of expenses. I think three to six months of income of take-home pay is mm-hmm. is more important because that allows you to have a, a bigger runway if something was to happen, but it also allows you to keep your life a little bit more in order if something, you know, was to jump, or something was to happen. So, as an example, um, let's say you got three months of income set aside, and you know, you, you lose your job. So now you've got three months to, you know, look for other work. But you had kids, and they were in softball and volleyball or baseball, whatever. They were in activities. If you only had three months of expenses saved, you would have three months of lights, gas, water, you know, food, and that's it. So as soon as you lost that job, you would only be able to pay the bills and you would have to cut out anything that's fun. Um, Whereas if you had three months of income saved, you would be able to say, oh, okay, I don't have to take little Billy or Jane out of volleyball or softball because of course it's going to be a very stressful thing when you lose your job but what do you want to do you want to keep things as consistent as possible as low stress as possible so now you have allowed your kids to stay three more months in their their programs which does not disrupt their life um, which also you know creates less stress for you so that's why it's important to have a runway of income instead of expenses so once you get past the three months of income then you've got more money. So the next thing you need to do is kick up your retirement savings, two to three percent or whatever the employers are offering you. Even if it's six percent, it's not going to be enough for you to retire. So you think about six percent. You have a hundred percent of income, right? There's a salary you're offered. Right. You're putting six percent away. That means the other ninety four percent is being spent. So if you spend ninety four and you're saving six, how is six going to turn into enough? that you can live off of, you know, the same 94%. That Definitely. means your living expenses are way higher than your, your saving ratio. Right. And so investing the way it works and the way it kicks in and it helps you is like, you're right. I don't need to be saving 94% of my money or 50-50 in some way that people think about it. Like, oh, you're telling me, Lauren, I can only live off of 50% because I got to put the other 50% away so that I could live one year off of that. And it's like, no, no, no. That's where investing comes into play. And that's where the power of company interest is. But the number as a benchmark is usually around 20%. You don't need to save 50%, but you do need to be saving 20% of your income if you want that money to grow in a way that's going to allow you to live the life you want in retirement. Boy. So if you're saving 2 or 3% now, your next goal is to get to 20%. Um, and once you get to 20% of savings and you still like have money left over then you can start looking at other investment options. But your retirement account, so often people try to make it complicated. Your retirement account is an investment vehicle um, and it doesn't require a financial planner. It doesn't require um, you knowing a lot about the market. It requires you being able to pick from the things they gave you in your in your account. Um, I mean, now there is ways to optimize that, but step one is getting the money in there and getting it invested in something. Uh, you don't need... All these fancy things and courses And yeah, you don't have to like Stress yourself out that you don't understand investing Get the money into the retirement account And you will be investing and you will be saving And just think of it as saving How much more can I save And a lot of people don't know this But one of the things is that $19,000 Is the amount you can put in your retirement account Yeah So when I ask people how much you're putting in your retirement account They usually say, I don't know They say, I'm doing 2% I'm doing the employer match Uh, But it's really hard for them to figure out like how much they're saving on an annual basis. You need to be really intentional about trying to get to either 20% of your income or $19,000, which is the maximum.
0: Wow, that's very good. So you've shared your best money lesson and I truly picked up a lot of things from what you said. But one very important one was that before now, I've been planning that a emergency fund should be based on three to six months of expenses, but I like the way you explain it, that it should be three to six months of income. It's very reasonable. Thank you very much for that information. Uh, So now we know your best lesson. Can we know your worst money mistake so far?
1: My worst money mistake so far... um I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think that's one of the things that people don't um, fess up about. You know, I've, I've done a lot of things. Like I said, I, I didn't ask enough questions of those financial people. Um, and when they weren't meeting my needs, I didn't push a little bit harder to, to make sure that my needs were being met. I just took what they were giving me as a service as opposed to you know looking for the service that I needed. Um, I also bought a house that I should not have bought uh in 2006 uh so um, i was a single girl i bought four bedrooms four bathrooms oh. and i think this is something that's happening all across america right now right. is that you feel like i'm a grown-up i need the next step is to get a house i'm wasting money on rent i hear it all the time right. um i need to get a house um and it's not necessarily true uh it is mostly not true then it, is, then it is true you have a lot of things you're trying to tackle in your finances and to add the, the debt of a house and the payment of a house and the home maintenance of a house to that scenario um, is not always the best decision it's not going to create more financial stability for you it's going to create a lot of stress for you but it's like oh I got to get out You know, I'm, I'm too old to be living in an apartment if you want sincerely super duper want a house then I would encourage you to start getting your financial house in order first um, and really be focusing on that because the other thing that I really don't like about what exists nowadays is that it's very easy to get a house. You, You can have, you know, credit card debt and other kinds of debt and no, almost out. no savings, and you can yeah. put five percent down. And there's so many things. The, the barrier to entry is really low, <laughs> and people are not thinking about your financial health and whether you can actually, will you actually need that house, even though they're giving it to you because you want it. Um, so. I think buying a house was one of the, the worst things that I did um, and it was because I bought too much house so I, like yeah. I said I, I could have bought a, I actually own a house now and it's not a bad financial decision but I had to make a lot of bad financial decisions to learn what you know a good financial decision as it pertains to a house is um, and so I have a house now that's a lot smor- smaller a lot more affordable um, whereas the house that I bought before like I said four bedrooms four bathrooms and one one young lady was living in it Um And someone should have told me a good financial advisor, a good financial planner would have told me, girl, you don't need that much house. Um, And how are you going to pay for this house? Because it's a 30 year mortgage. That's the other thing you got to think about. What job is going to support me for 30 years while I pay this single this amount every single month for the next 30 years? That's a long time to pay something. Right, right. Think about being done with it in 15 years and what the payment would be. Oh, the payment would double and you can't afford that on a monthly basis. Well, that's a pretty good indicator. Um, it's just to, to really, really, really be considerate before purchasing a home and making sure. So like you said, all the free financial advice today. If you don't ever want to hire a planner, at, at least think about these things before you do it. Don't buy a house that is more than two times your income. Mm-hmm. So if you make 60K, you shouldn't be looking for a house that costs more than 100k. You make 200k, a house that's more than 400k, and some people are probably gasping, you know, almost wrecking their car. Like, what? How could that <laughs> ever be possible? The houses are so much more expensive nowadays, and things are so much more expensive. And that's just it. Things are very expensive, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there it's a good purchase to to a good buy or a good purchase at this time. Um, so really, really think about those sorts of things. And, you know, then when you get two household incomes, it becomes better. Um, so, you know, marrying finances is another thing that is really important. Um, OK, we're supposed to be talking about my worst thing. So one was a house, <laughs> yeah. uh, two, uh, like I said, not knowing or understanding what a financial planner does or and not forcing that. Uh, other financial mistakes that I have made, I would say not understanding the importance of really asking the questions that I needed to ask or, um, having the conversations the same way, the same way that the podcast came about. Like I was very ashamed, you know, at one point too, because I, I was just like, things started to spin out of control and I couldn't figure out like what to do. Um, and I think the biggest, like you said, mistake was not going ahead and asking others, um, what, what what was the main thing to do and, and it was a short period of time that I felt like that and mm-hmm. I, I can think of one example so okay I gave a gentleman some money for an investment and it was not a good thing to do right and I actually had a financial advisor at this time so I didn't tell my financial advisor about it because there must have been something in me that said that this is probably not the best thing to do but I was crossing my fingers that it was gonna pay off and that it was <laughs> gonna be really good and um, it was gonna it was gonna go great. And so I had somebody available to me to ask, and I didn't even ask. I went ahead and did the investment without. And then, of course, it didn't go very well. (laughs) I lost 100% of my money in that situation. So then I was very ashamed, and I didn't want to tell the advisor what I did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, I know I didn't hire the right kinds of advisors, but I'd be wrong to say that I didn't make any mistakes, even when I had someone in my life that could have helped me. So don't ignore the resources Yes would be the advice there And it was very very bad for me to You know have resources available to me But let shame take over um, And me not actually open my mouth And use the resources that were around me
0: Wow (laughs) That's packed So (laughs) you've said it all Uh, We all should Just try as much as possible To learn as much as we can and uh, we learn from all these mistakes. And that's why um, I ask my guests to share their uh, mistakes so that uh, my audience can learn from them. Hey, Lauren, we are almost coming to the end of this uh, interview. I listened to your, one of your podcast episodes where you shared your money memoir. You talked about your upbringing, your childhood, your growing up days. I'm particularly fascinated by your Milkman story because that story resonates very well with me. I want to ask you, what role did your background, you know, growing up uh, in Pennsylvania, what role did it play in you being a competitive athlete? How did that shape your experience as a whole?
1: Um, I would say that so much of the things that we experience um, during childhood shape the decisions and um, the person that we become as, a, as an adult. And as an adult, we live a lot in the right here, right now. Um, but one of the things we can do to, to be better individuals is to circle back to our past, spend a little bit of time there, unpacking you know, what money messages did we get Uh, what kind of different traumatic events happened, you know, what things were wonderful about our lives that gave us such optimism. Uh, But circling back to your childhood is such an important part of uh, understanding who you are and and managing your current personality and making sure that you can be your best you. Um, That I, I think that it's something that I would encourage everybody to do. And for me, it definitely very much shaped who I am today. That small town upbringing, you know, I, I was in Detroit for a while, I was in big city life and, you know, the things that helped me adapt and, and feel comfortable in big city life uh, and then switching over to small town upbringing and kind of coming from a home where my mom says we put the fun in dysfunctional, so I have five <laughs> sisters, two brothers, but uh, we don't all share the same mom and dad and uh, despite that, we, we we're raised to just say five sisters, two brothers. We don't usually explain that to people. Yeah. Um, and so those little things, all of those things about my childhood, about my upbringing, um, are things that have, gone, have come to shape me today. And I think that they have made me the woman that I am. They have made me as well-rounded as I am because I've experienced so many different things and I've overcome so many different things. Um, so I would say it very, very much played a role into uh, who I decided to become today.
0: Thank you. So uh, from also reading and learning about you, I know you've experienced success and uh, you've also had some disappointment. In the Olympic, uh, you had this dropped button incident uh, that cost you or that costs the United States uh, maybe gold medal. And that was in 2004 and also in Beijing in 2008. From the video that I saw, you said you took off in 2010 and during that time, you got to know God and that's actually changed your life. Can you just tell us briefly about that dropped button incident and how knowing God influenced your life now?
1: So, there's been, you know, many um, introductions to God in my life. You know, from a very early age, there was a lot of my grandmother was really big on church. And then at one point, my dad became really big in church. Um, and so, the, God has been introduced to me, and he's never been a stranger. But one of the things that I think is really important is to find your own journey. And so, you know, people can tell you, people can kind of lead you, or they can guide you in a certain direction. But You've got to do the soul searching. You've got to do um, the the reflecting, and you've got to decide, you know, who God is to you, um, and how you want uh, him to be a part of your life. And I think that uh, there's been a series of events where, you know, I turn to God, I turn away, I turn to God, I turn away, um, and that was one of the events where I realized that. Um, I'll I'll even say just like my dad, he was basically saying like, these, these events don't make you, these are not the things that, you know, you're not the sum of whatever has happened uh, one day on the track. And so to really be able to lean on God and understand that this is all about a bigger picture, um, that, you know, like it's, it's not, you know, even right now we're recording a podcast, like this is one moment of time in our life. Uh, if I totally said all the wrong stuff today, I could, you know, get into bed and cry and say, you know, I don't want to live anymore. Or I could be like, gosh, I did a terrible job. Uh, but, you know, that's going to help me improve for the next time. And so I think drawing on God and, and helping having him to help me look at the bigger picture of things has been a really, really important part of my life um, to be able to circle back, have a relationship and. Just always be kind of like thinking about like, what is the bigger picture? Um, What is my bigger purpose? What is my mission even so much? Um, Because another thing too, is that as I've gotten older, you know, as an athlete, I've been very goal oriented and now I'm switching kind of mindset to, you know, you can set a goal, achieve a goal, set a goal, achieve the goal. But what is the bigger picture? What is the mission? So now I'm more mission oriented than I am goal oriented. Um, So that's been a really, really important thing is to just consider God as it pertains to my purpose and my mission.
0: Wow, that's good. Thank you very much, Lauren. Uh, We have come to the end of this uh, podcast episode. I so much appreciate your time. I know my audience are going to learn a lot from this podcast episode as well. But I want them to connect with you. Can you please uh, let them know where they can find you and how they can connect with you?
1: Yes, certainly. So you guys can find me on all sorts of different platforms from social media, Twitter. You can find me on Worth Winning or at Lawrence C. Williams. Um, Instagram, I'm Worth Winning. And then also at Lawrence C. Williams. My website is worth-winning.com. And then my personal website for, like you said, Olympic stuff is lauren-williams.com. So uh, you simply put in my name or worth winning somewhere on the internet and you should be able to find me relatively easily.
0: Thank you. So indeed it is what winning. Thank you very much for that time. This episode of Winner's Ways Podcast has come to a close. We hope you enjoy and learn something from today's show. Keep winning.